Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as the run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I am Travis Jadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News. I'm joined this week, as always, by Greg Talbot of WSAV. Greg, how are you? You know, uh, like Georgia Southern, I often say this, uh, I'm not having a great day. That's okay, though, because we have another game to, to prove ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Another opportunity, as Chad Lunsford calls it. Not a sexy opportunity, just a blue-collar opportunity, right? It's never sexy. It can't be sexy. Never sexy. <laughs> All right, so we'll jump into the Troy game on this episode guys and then kind of start to preview coastal carolina and then a little bit at the end of what georgia southern potentially could be looking at um post georgia state and post regular season uh, as far as bowl games are concerned but first we got to take care of the bad news and the bad news is what happened saturday at paulson stadium um wasn't a great showing by really any measure after the first quarter for Georgia Southern who loses 35 to 21 to Troy on Saturday. Obviously we know the implications of the game. We went over it, you know, in great detail before the game. Um, So we don't need to go over what Georgia Southern lost on Saturday, but we can go over kind of how they lost and, and why, why they lost. And if it, you know, if we think it's an outlier or if it was kind of a sign of things to come, Greg, I, I've, I already did a bonus episode of the podcast kind of telling people what I thought of the Troy game. I guess before we jump into specifics, I want to give you the chance to, you know, give you the chance to, to say what you thought was the, were the keys to the game. Well, I guess I want to be uh, as objective and careful as I can because I got a number of tweets on Saturday from people saying that clearly Troy was my favorite team of all time <laughs> and that I didn't like George Southern at all. Whether or not they know my background is up for debate. Uh, so even though there were Georgia Southern fans who thought I was probably too objective on the broadcast, uh, it is my job to point out what I see. And what I saw was an offense that got really rolling, as Travis, I'm sure you caught too. The first two drives were two touchdowns. The touchdowns were the same play twice, and the play that got them into the red zone was the same play twice on that wheel wrap to Wesley Field. Yep. Outside of those two individual plays, there weren't a lot of plays on offense that got them downfield. That Troy defense pretty much had them on lockdown by the end of the first quarter. 
Um, on the defensive side of the ball, you and I have talked on and off the podcast this year about how the defensive secondary are complete studs. And the cornerbacks, Brinson and Vildor, have been some of the best Southern has seen in years. They've been shut down a lot of the time. But over the middle of the field, past 10 yards downfield, they just get torched. The, the 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 linebackers in the secondary and that was another thing um for the second consecutive game they gave up over 285 yards passing Sawyer Smith could have gotten to 350 if he kept throwing the ball instead of just running the ball up the middle to his running backs in the fourth quarter of that game so uh the defensive line did a good job they didn't allow BJ Smith to get to his sixth straight 100 yard game on the ground for Troy uh, but, yeah, the, the linebackers in secondary had another game where they got torched for about 300. And if it was just Troy, I'd say it was an outlier. But the fact that it's ULM and Troy, that's uh, that's worrisome to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, it is to me, too, Greg. And we pointed this fact out before the Troy game. Like you said, this has kind of been a, an ongoing issue. And it's just been something that they've been able to either kind of mask or – or else overcome, or they've given up big yards over the middle. I mean, we remember, uh, I think it was you that actually pointed it out, in the UMass game, which they ended up winning handily, we remember the, the middle of the field, and that, remember, that's week two, so we didn't know kind of what Georgia Southern was going to be yet. But in week two of the season, the middle of the field was wide open, and it didn't cost Georgia Southern at that time, but now it's starting to really come to the forefront uh, in the last two losses, ULM and Troy especially. Uh, before we go further on that, I wanted to kind of just run over these numbers. Like you said, Greg, after the first quarter, Georgia Southern was really dominated by Troy. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Would they you give me the – are you in front of the computer? Yeah, so I have all the numbers right here would, from the would game. You pull up, would you pull up second, third, and fourth quarter yards – for both teams, just so I can get a mathematical comparison. Yeah, so here, here, here's Georgia Southern, two hundred and ninety-one total yards. Okay, in and the how first, many were first quarter? Wasn't it about two hundred in the first quarter? So it was one hundred and thirty in the first quarter and one sixty-one for the remainder of the game, oh, which God. is not good. But listen to this one, Greg. First or uh, total yards rushing, one hundred and one. Fifty-one of those came in the first quarter. So 50 yards rushing for the rest of the game. And really, you take out Monteo Garrett's 29-yard run in the first quarter, you lose 51 of those first quarter rushing yards. So then you add in another 18-yard touchdown run from Shy Wirtz, you're looking at a large chunk of only 101 yards rushing. Can we, can we talk about what name you're missing and what name the team was missing that day? Yeah, I mean, you, know, we, you want to just jump right into West Why isn't West Kennedy touching the ball? I, I have no idea. And, and, Greg, the only thing that I've heard, and this is just from other people on the beat and kind of people that are also around the program like we are, the only rationale I've heard, and it's a ridiculous rationale, but this is what I've heard, is that West Kennedy has developed a fumbling problem. And so what I said, and I'll let you – talk at length about that but here's what i say about that first off i've never seen west kennedy have a fumble problem neither have i high yeah. school or college so i don't necessarily buy that but let's just assume that he does have quote unquote fumbling problem 
Okay, so either he's not touching it because DeBess and Lunsford are, are punishing him for the fumbles. Okay, and so that's a problem off the bat. Georgia Southern can't afford to be punishing people right now. Or they're saying, we, we cannot live with the fumbles. It derails the offense. We cannot live with them. So we just can't afford to give you the ball as often. Either so way. Here's the, so here's the on-the-record on comment I got from Bob DeBess. Uh, we did our we do our uh, weekly when I when 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 I'm doing the game on ESPN three, we get to have weekly coaches meetings and I asked him on the record and off the record, uh, and, and they both matched up. Basically, he said we moved Kennedy from slot to running back because he's so dynamic, so we can get him to touch the ball as much as possible. And when was this? Last week. Yeah, so that just didn't happen. And, 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 and then he touched the ball what three times? Yeah, so it was. I don't even know that it was. So yeah, two two rushing attempts for ten total yards, nine of those on one play, and zero targets in the passing game. Yeah, man, I'm just confused because their offense is so much more limited when he isn't in the. Darian Anderson, really, without Kennedy in there, Darian Anderson is their only deep threat unless it's Wesley Fields coming out of the backfield on a wheel route. Um, Kennedy was what allowed them to stretch the field north south so they can open up more play space. Right. And without him touching the ball, what I saw Troy do is they kept their defense 15 yards from the line of scrimmage and in. Yeah. You don't have to be worried about a deep shot except, I don't know, three, four times a game. Um, And having Kennedy constantly be a threat makes you put a guy on him, maybe throw a guy back there in zone and give Southern more space to move the ball. So I don't presume to know anything about what's going on for other rationale than what Bob DeBest told me. I love Bob DeBest. He's truthful. He's honest. Uh, I enjoy working with him. And I have no reason to to think otherwise. Um, What I do know is that if the point is to move him to running back so he can be your most dynamic player other than Shywertz and get him the ball more, um, he should be getting 15 carries a game. I don't want us saying, you know, or criticizing the offense, which is fully deserving of criticism for these two weeks. I don't want that to come off as us questioning Bob the best or. Not at all. Rushing powerhouse. I love him. He's done great work. Yeah, I think, I mean, kudos to Bob the best. And I think that the offense is coming along, you know, big picture speaking just fine. And I don't think there's any need for talk of any kind of change, but yeah, just uh, I'm just wondering what's going on with Wes Kennedy. Here's some, here, here's his rushing attempts, just his attempts since New Mexico state on October 20th. So at New Mexico state, we know West Fields was out for that game, 16 carries. That was the first time that Kennedy had been officially moved to running back against app state, three carries against ULM, four carries against Troy, two carries. So something is going on, and it's not, you know, it wasn't, you can no longer just say that, hey, we got to do a better job of getting Wes Kennedy the ball, our playmakers the ball, but we just didn't get anything going. We didn't get anything developed. Uh, so that's why we couldn't give him the ball. You know, it's not difficult to hand him the ball. One thing to not get a receiver the ball because exactly. they have to be open in space. Exactly. If you just line him with your H-back, you could hand to him whenever you want. Yeah, and and so that's why when he moved to running back, I was figuring, and I guess I was stupid to think this, I was figuring that would lead to more carries. But 
you know, I guess what do we know about running backs except for that they carry the ball usually more than a slot receiver, but that hasn't been the case um, at all. Uh, Greg, another point I wanted to touch on from Troy game, I was critical of Shy Wertz against ULM. Um, and, you know, I think so were you, and, and he was critical of himself uh, during that game. But I, I do think that Wertz deserves a lot of credit for showing some toughness against Troy. He's 14 of 23 for career high, 190 and two touchdowns. Um, did not have a great day rushing the ball. But what I like to see, Greg, is the number of attempts he had rushing the ball. Now, he, he rushed it only for 35 yards, and that includes an 18-yard touchdown score. But he, but he attempted 16 runs. And that's – I can live with bad rushing performances every now and again from Wirtz, but I cannot live with him having less than 10 attempts in a game because that just means he's simply handing the ball off of the triple option more often than not. And, you know, as good as Wesley Fields and Monteo Garrett are, we know – we've talked about it at length. We know that Shy Wirtz – is what's going to make or break the Georgia Southern offense, and opposing teams know that. And so him rushing it 16 times was a pleasant change from the week prior. But, Greg, how did you think he looked throwing the ball? I mean, he was 14 of 23. There was at least one pass that kind of went off of Ellis Richardson's fingertips that I thought was a good pass. But but that was, I thought, a pretty good throw. I thought he looked pretty good throwing the ball. What about you? Yeah, I was I was pretty impressed with his resilience um and i was really impressed with the fact that he continues to be so darn efficient um i I admired his leadership he was cool in the pocket even when troy would come in and sack him as they did now and again i would go as far as to say shy is the one who kept them in that game as long as they were in that game and he's the one responsible for that long drive that that led them back briefly in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, I think it, I, I knew entering the game, and this is one of my themes of the broadcast, was that this is going to be a big developmental day in the maturation of Shy Wirtz. And even though they lost the game, he showed such poise and composure under pressure from the best rushing defense at the Sunbelt Conference. I couldn't have been more impressed with Shy. He was terrific. Yeah, and you touched on Troy's defense there. Would you agree with me that Georgia Southern was beat on Saturday by a team that's head and shoulders better than them? I think if Georgia Southern was operating at top capacity, getting everyone the ball who they need to get the ball to, I think if Kennedy was still touching the ball five times a game out of the slot and they'd take one or two handoffs, I think if Garrett was breaking 15-yard runs and the defense wasn't giving up shots over the middle, they could have contained and kept that game within a touchdown uh but i would say on saturday even with troy operating with a backup quarterback who's only been in there a month i think troy looked like the better team i wouldn't call this any kind of upset and i think vegas was being uh generous to have that as only a point and a half spread yeah i mean i agree with you because like let's say if you if you took the same two teams make it a week later and put them in a neutral field you know the outcome might be different but before the game, the the spread would probably be similar, and I I, I, would I, I still think it would have been a two touchdown game regardless. I, I yeah. what did I say last week in the podcast? I I said thirty one twenty, and then it ended up being thirty five twenty one. So it was pretty yeah. close. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I I said Troy would win too. They ended up winning by more than what I thought, but 
you know, at least there is some, you know, when they lost to ULM, they lost to a team that was inferior to them. But against Troy, you know, they lost to a team that was, I, I thought, far and away better. And what Troy's done before they played Georgia Southern, you know, what I think they're going to do after having played Georgia Southern is is probably going to further prove that point. Uh, another, you know, negative from the game, plenty to choose from, obviously, was the punting of McGill Bowerly. And, you know, someone uh, said on Twitter that... Well, you, you, you know, part of that was the wind. I mean, he was half the time he was kicking into the wind, and that wind was serious up there on Saturday. Greg, the wind is the most convenient thing for McGill Bowerly, I think. You know, I've never heard of, of a punter consistently punting against the wind more than McGill Bowerly. <laughs> okay. I'm not a weather guy, but he's been average, I guess, statistically in punting in on Saturday. It cost them because Troy's average field position was their own 35. Georgia Southern's was their own 25. So that's, I mean, that's only 10 yards, but when you're barely converting first downs and when you're going three and out as often as Georgia Southern went three and out, that's a killer. And having, I forget his first name. What's it, Beck from South Effingham, Greg? Do oh, I don't remember. I think it, it might be Anthony Beck. Forgive me, Mr. Beck, if it's the wrong first name, but I'd like to see him get a shot, especially with the new redshirt rule, which allows you four games to play. I mean, I, I'd like to see at least another punter dressed out. I'm pretty sure that it would be Tyler Bass, the place kicker that would be next up if not uh, Bowerly, but, you know, I've had people tell me that Bowerly doesn't get the criticism that all the other players get. And, and why is that, you know, just simply put, that's it's because he's a punter and everyone else is not a punter. That's why he doesn't get the criticism that everyone else gets. So, <laughs> but, you know, that needs to be, I don't get a woof for that, Greg. Woof. Thanks. So that, that needed to be touched on, at least for my own sake and for my Twitter mentions. How were your mentions after the game? I didn't get to see where people said you were too critical or were they fair? Uh, no, I think they, they for, the lar- for the most part, saw what I saw. Um, and the, the questions surrounding Wes Kennedy were – it almost made me feel a little better because I, I, thought, I was beginning to think that I might be a little crazy for just for focusing in on that so much. But, you know, the reaction after the game was the same thing. And then there was a lot of reaction about – uh, the offensive lines play over the last two games, which Greg, I mean, I, we've talked about this before. Also, when you're when you're kind of running the same, you know, I know that the Georgia Southern offense will run the same play often, but when you're running the same option on that same play over and over again, I find it hard to blame an offensive lineman going against a defensive lineman that knows what's about to happen. Totally, I agree. So, you know, and I still think that Colbert and Miller at both tackle positions have been really well, have been really good and improving with each game. Uh, Greg, we just talked about the, the new redshirt rule and we've talked about a couple of freshmen before on the show. So kind of wanted to update people on where those guys stand. Justin Birdsong has eclipsed the four game mark. So he's no longer no longer eligible to be redshirted. Um, we obviously know that CJ Wright uh, Devarius Bargner, and a few others, including wide receiver Marcus Rogers, already eclipsed that four-game mark long ago. But did want to update people that Birdsong now is has played the five games 
and is no longer eligible for a red shirt. So I, I would like to see him more often in the nickel at the third corner, but that hasn't really happened. I don't know how healthy he is. Um, Greg, did you want to talk about Monquavian Brinson and Kendall Vildor over the last two weeks? Or, you know, is there anything else really left to say about their performance over the last two weeks? We knew entering the game that they were going to have their handful with Damian Willis. Uh, he entered the game coming off a huge win against the Cajuns. I think he had like 212 yards and 10 catches. He was unbelievable. Yeah. Now, that said, they actually did pretty much limit Damian Willis. Travis, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the biggest play he made was catching the two-point conversion and then getting Brinson to get a 15-yarder for pass interference in the third quarter. Uh, they really did pretty much shut down Willis. The difference was Neil Brown schemed open ways to get every other secondary receiver who'd only made like three catches a game on average, a bunch of catches. Like Sidney Davis entered the season with 20 catches. He was our leading receiver with nine or 10 catches. Like they found ways to get everyone else the ball besides Willis, and that was the difference. Yeah, and you saw, Greg, the difference between the two offenses. We know what Georgia Southern's offense is. You know, it's not going to change scheme-wise. But I've said all year long, it, it makes zero sense, and it is incredibly archaic to break the huddle with 10 seconds left on the play clock, get to the line of scrimmage, and snap the ball without any regard for what the defense is lined up in. And you don't see that anywhere uh, in college football. You really don't even see it often in high school football nowadays. I mean, it's kind of a a common thing to go to the line and then adjust based on what you see. Georgia Southern, right. does, Georgia Southern does none of that. And well, they don't have to be a no huddle, hurry up offense to do that. You, all you have to do is not spend 30 seconds in the huddle. Yeah. You know, I didn't notice this the last couple of weeks. Is it just me or did they break and go to the line faster than I'd ever seen them do it before last week? I had never seen them rush to the line so fast on every play that I did last week. Who Georgia Southern? Yeah, it seemed like it was just faster than the, even faster than normal this week. Well, I mean, I don't know. I didn't see. I didn't think that they showed any kind nope. of pace or tempo. No, I mean, but did you see that? What impressed me the most about the Troy offense was how multiple they were. I mean, they all the formations. It was beautiful. An incredible amount of formations, and you know they have weapons, but it's not like Georgia Southern's running a bunch of walk-ons out there on offense. I mean, they have weapons as well. But what Troy did was, I mean, just look at the numbers. If you're listening to this, just look at the statistics from the game and look how many people Troy got involved in right. the game. Look how few people are involved for Georgia Southern on their offensive end. Monteo Garrett had one carry. Uh, you know, Westfields had 10 for 17. Um, right. West Kennedy, we know that he was just a non-factor. Westfield had a big day receiving, but I think that was just a byproduct of Georgia Southern not being able to run the ball. So, yeah, you know, plenty of things offensively that Georgia Southern had better adjust quickly uh, or it could go downhill in a hurry. And I think it's clear Troy took a look at the ULM film, mirrored what they did, and they had pretty similar success against the Georgia Southern defense that – came in as the number two defense in the conference. And, right. You know, they're still ranked third in scoring defense, but there's a lot to fix on that side of the ball. I'll say this about Brinson and Vildor. I'm perfectly fine 
with those two having bad games, given what they've been over the previous, you know, six games this year and then really the previous 12 games last year, we know who they are and they're going to be good. I think maybe that Vildor was just beat twice and Brinson's just had a bad two weeks. But yeah, I don't think there's, you know, not much else to discuss from the Troy game or not much else. So probably fans want to hear from the Troy game. But before we move to Coastal Carolina, I did just want to throw this out there real quick, Greg. In the last two losses, Georgia Southern has averaged giving up 39 and a half points. In the previous five games, which they won, they averaged giving up 18 points. So, you know, not hard to figure out what needs to be fixed in order for the wins to begin trickling off like they did following the Clemson game. And then also wanted to touch on Georgia Southern did win the turnover battle again. They're plus 21 in the turnover department, which is unheard of, number one in the country in that category. Our sponsor read is for the savannahnow.com podcast network. Our podcasts include the Commute and Difference Makers, both of which are produced by our op-ed page team, as well as the Georgia Southern Extra Football Podcast and the Do Savannah Entertainment Podcast. Visit savannahnow.com and dosavannah.com to download any of these podcasts or search for them by name through the podcast app on your mobile device. Once you locate the podcast through the search, you can subscribe for free and new episodes will be pushed to you automatically. Check out the savannahnow.com podcast today. So let's uh, let's talk about Coastal Carolina briefly uh, before we wrap up. You've been high on kind of the future of this program uh, in in Conway, South Carolina, near Myrtle Beach, and Georgia Southern will get a firsthand look at what they have to offer. Their quarterback situation is a circus and has been for the last two years. Absolutely, uh, they do they do have now a guy that's going to start. I think it's fourth game of the year who, who presents a legitimate dual threat um, to Georgia Southern's defense. Uh, so that's something that obviously Georgia Southern has not done well in defending offenses that, that run RPOs and that run systems through dual threat quarterbacks, but coastal won't really be an RPO team, Greg, but they will try to control the ball. They lead the off the Sunbelt in time of possession Georgia Southern is second in that department. So Coastal's going to want to run the ball. They're going to run it out of a pistol shotgun option type, kind of similar to Georgia Southern, but they'll throw it a little more often. Greg, what, where do you think the, the key to this game upcoming in, in Conway? You know, I, I think at least what I'm focused on, uh, interested to watch, and I think a lot of folks listening will probably feel the same way, is the, the story for this game is one uh, – can Southern get their groove back against a team that they are definitely better than? Coastal's got some stuff going for them, but Southern's a better team and a better program with a lot more going for it, I think. And then number two is, can the defense get their groove back, more specifically, against Jamie Chadwell, who's the offensive coordinator, he's the associate head coach, mm-hmm. and he was the guy, or at least one of the guys, who Southern offered Tyson Summers the head coaching job over – over Jamie back when he was at Charleston Southern. So right. there's always an interesting storyline there in that game for me. Uh, Chadwell is a great schemer. The guy knows how to get guys open. Now, does he have great weapons? No, he doesn't. But I'm interested to see if the Southern defense can get their groove back regardless. That's kind of what I'm watching. Yeah, you would hope that Georgia Southern's offense would be able to 
have more success. So I, I think, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would focus more on Georgia Southern's defense, which unlike their offense, you know, we could see a little bit of a scheme change. They're, they're not going to change out of a three, four, but you know, you might start seeing all four linebackers on the field at once instead of two safeties and three corners and, you know, just changing up the personnel based on who they're playing as opposed to the last two teams when, you know, they've been pretty heavy uh, in the passing game. So Coastal is five and five, so they have plenty to play for, uh, most notably, I think, a, a bowl berth in their first year because they were not eligible last year. Is that right, Greg? Do you remember? I do not remember. It was their first year in – FBS similar to Georgia Southern's 2014 season when when you're not eligible by the almighty NCAA and and its rules. Um, So they have plenty to play for with two games left on the schedule. And if you're Georgia Southern, this is the kind of game where we've heard over and over again on the road that either Georgia Southern didn't bring enough juice, as they like to call it, or – you know, they start slow and then they're able to overcome inferior opponents just based on talent. This isn't that kind of game, I don't think. I don't think that Georgia Southern can come with no juice and they cannot start slow against Coastal Carolina because they did that last year and and they got dominated uh, against Coastal. So I think super important for Georgia Southern to start fast in this game and to have some sort of identity on offense, have something go right, either the dive with Fields and Garrett or the outside game with Bargnair, Wirtz, and dare I say it, Wesley Kennedy. You know, that's important for me to see this team get off to a good start. And then defensively, got to make sure that they, that they tackle well, which they did not do against ULM. I thought they were better against Troy, not, still not what they were at the beginning of the year. But it's another game where a lot of the stress and a lot of the burden uh, of the defense will be on the linebackers, um, and especially Chris Harris and Tamarcio Reese in the middle. So let's see. I was looking for Coastal. Yeah, they're, so they're two and four and fourth in the Eastern Division. Um, 28-17 was the game last year, Coastal winning over Georgia Southern. This is the fifth all-time meeting with Georgia Southern leading. Okay. Three to one all time. The only loss coming last year. All right. I think it's a really interesting game because here's the thing. You and I talked about this. I don't remember if it was on the air or or off the air, but what I do think is that entering the Troy game, we knew there was a potential for it to kind of be a. Uh, I knew it was going to be an interesting game with the potential for a snowball effect either way, because Chad Lunsford has taught this team to ride their emotion for better and worse, and. For, you know, these next two games, I'm interested to see if they can ride their emotion high or learn to learn to contain it. Because there's a potential for a negative snowball effect here if they don't really come out ready to win on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. And that's something that Lunsford's done a good job of so far is avoiding the negative snowball effect. But in the last two games, just over a small sample size over those four quarters – there's no doubt that there's been a negative snowball effect from first quarter to fourth quarter. And so what you're hoping to avoid if you're Georgia Southern and a Georgia Southern fan is that to kind of take root 
over the season. And for Georgia Southern, their last two games against Coastal and Georgia State, you don't want to say must win, but given what happened at the beginning of the season up until the ULM game, if they don't win both of these next two games, you kind of find it easier to start forgetting about how good they were at the beginning of the year going into a long offseason, you know, following a, a probable bowl game appearance. Um, you want to avoid that at all costs. And also, you know, on the recruiting trail, we know that Coastal Carolina and Georgia State will both be looking at a lot of the same players. So losing to one or both of those teams would would only help Coastal and Georgia State, um, you know, in the recruiting department. Greg, anything else you want to touch on or let the folks know before we head out? No, that's it for me, buddy. I, I'm, I, I really hope Southern finds a way to, to, to get their group back. I think they can. The good news is they are playing two beatable teams. Well, give me a prediction before we, before we get off of here. What do you think? How do you see it going? Southern wins. 27-17. Nice, yeah. So I'll say Georgia Southern 30, Coastal yeah. 20. All right, let's see. Uh, all right, yeah. And then before we leave, we want to remind folks uh, to find this podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts or online, savannahnow.com slash podcasts. All of our coverage of Georgia Southern Athletics, uh, including a monster win for the basketball team last night over George Mason, uh, down by 22 points. At one point late in the first half, Georgia Southern ended up winning by 10. So big game for them, big win for them to move to 2-0. and You can find oh, all that coverage. Yeah, that. Did you watch that game? Oh, I was there, man. Oh, I, I, I didn't see you, Greg. I was just on the baseline with the camera doing the thing. Actually doing some work, huh? That's Yeah, that's rare. <laughs> so you can find all that coverage from us at savannahnow.com slash sports. Um, and then you can send your complaints to Greg on Twitter or if you want to, to me at Jadon Sports, J-A-U-D-O-N. And yeah, so until next week, thank you guys for joining us and thank you for listening. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Score! The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern.